This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I'm crazy grateful for all of you who subscribe, share, and leave reviews. If this is your first time, welcome to the Elevate community. Like our home church, Living Word, I and the Elevate leaders work as hard as we can to build an atmosphere of love to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. It would mean the world to us if you helped us get the word out by sharing this episode on social media. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate, visit us at iloveelevate.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for everything you do, which brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. A.W. Tozer says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The most important thing about who you are is how you understand God, of who you see him as. It will change everything. It will affect your lifestyle. It will affect your purpose, how you live. It will reflect how you see your past. Everything is going to be built on how you see God. Our series is looking at and studying the attributes of God. We're basing it on this verse, Psalm 113, 2 through 6. Blessed be the name of Yahweh from this time forever. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of Yahweh is to be praised. Yahweh is high above all nations, and his glory is above the heavens. Who is like Yahweh our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down to see the heavens and the earth? Last week, we talked about the aseity of God, basically his self-existence, his self-sufficiency. He doesn't need anything to exist. He always was, he always will be, and all life is in him. Therefore, he is the only one who can be the creator and give life. Everything he creates is for his exaltation, for his glory. Therefore, if he created us, our singular and primary and only purpose is to give him glory, to give him all the credit and all the praise for our whole lives. Tonight, we are studying his omnipotence, and we are studying his sovereignty. Because he is self-existent, because he is all-creating, and because he is all-powerful, that's what omnipotence means, it gives him the right to be in all control, and that is sovereignty. So let's take a minute and look at the omnipotence of God. Our solar system is enormous. It's enormous to look from the sun to the outer planets. It would take a lifetime to travel. And yet, in our galaxy, the Milky Way, our solar system would be about the size of a quarter on the continent of North America, like to the top of Canada, to the bottom of Mexico. So take that quarter and throw it out into an empty field in Oklahoma somewhere. And you got to ask yourself, how many people in New York actually care that there's a quarter out there? Like, that's how tiny our solar system is in this vast galaxy. Just one galaxy featuring 100 billion stars. The size of the Milky Way, if you were traveling at 186,000 miles per second, 186,000 miles, it would take you 100,000 years to cross the galaxy from one side to the other. Our sun is enormous. It is vast. It's way bigger than what we can wrap our minds around. It would take, and, it, and the earth is pretty big. Most of us don't get to see it in our lifetimes. It would take 1.3 million earths to fill up the sun. But the 
sun is actually very tiny in our galaxy. So far, the biggest sun, the biggest star that they have found, would fit seven quintillion Earths inside of it. Now, I know that our minds can't, I mean, our minds have a hard enough time understanding what a billion means. So let me just give you like an illustration. If, let's imagine a second in the day. Right? It's fast. If you went back in time one million seconds, it would be about 12 days. One million seconds. If you went back one billion seconds, the difference between a million and a billion, one billion seconds is 38 years ago. That's the difference between a million and a billion. Now, the difference between a billion and a trillion is if you went back one trillion seconds from this moment, you would arrive at 28,000 BC. That's the difference between a billion and a million. Now, the difference between a trillion and jump up two steps, past quadrillion to quintillion, that's a one with 18 zeros, is if you were to go back in time one quintillion seconds, you would go back 30 million years. And there are seven quintillion Earths to fill up the largest star. In fact, the star is so big, it would fill up the diameter of Jupiter's path around the sun. Our teeny tiny little sun. Isaiah 40, 25-26 says, To whom then will you compare me? that I should be like him, says the Holy One. And here's Isaiah speaking. Lift up your eyes on high to see who created these. Look up. And who created these? He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because of his strong power, not one, not one of these stars is missing. There are over 100 billion stars in our galaxy. Scientists believe there are at least one septillion, that is one with 24 zeros, stars in the universe, and God has named them all. Even Adam got, started running out of names. He started with hippopotamus and ended up with fly. Just started naming things after what they did. Grass hopper. He ran out of names. How much more is God able to name all the stars? There are four things that we need to understand about his omnipotence. Omni means all. All power. The Old Testament refers to God as God Almighty. All power. He is the possessor of all power. If there's any power in the universe, he possesses it and infinitely much more. He is omnipotent. And there's four things that we need to remember about it. One, his power is infinite. His power is beyond what we can imagine. Ephesians 3.20, he is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or even think. He does whatever he wants. Psalm 115.3, our God is in the heavens. He does all he pleases. You have to understand, nothing's impossible for God. Nothing's hard for God. He doesn't break a sweat. It is by his very will, by the word that he would speak, that the universe came into existence. He is the holder of all power. I love what A.W. Tozer says. Since God has at his command all the power in the universe, the Lord God omnipotent can do anything. All his acts are done without effort. He expends no energy that he must need to be replenished. His self-sufficiency, his aseity, makes it unnecessary for him to look outside of himself for a renewal of strength. All the power to do what he requires, all the power required to do all that he wills, lies in him in undiminished fullness. Even the tiny power that we possess 
has been delegated to us from God. Think about that, about our enemy Satan, who we give way more power to than we ought. Whatever power he has, it has been delegated by God to him, and he's using Satan as a pawn. This is not Star Wars where we have a balance between what is good and what is evil. This is not you have two different forces that are equally pulling on you to see who wins. This is omnipotent, almighty God and the devil. That's all he counts for. He is nothing but a pawn in God's plan and against God's power. Hallelujah. The second thing you need to know is that no one can stand against his power. Job had a mind-blowing confrontation with God. And at the end of it, he ended up with his face down in the dirt and speaking into the dust. He said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be prevented. God is actually going to use the evil nation of Assyria in the Old Testament to punish his own people when they turn from him and turn towards wickedness. His own people are sacrificing babies and and laying themselves all out into terrible sexual stuff. And God uses an evil country to come and assert punishment, judgment to his own people. Listen to what he says about this. Isaiah 14, 24. Yahweh of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so shall it be. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. This is the purpose that is purposed concerning the whole earth. Who will annul it? His hand is stretched out. Who will turn it back? How many times do we try to convince ourselves that we can convince God to bend to our will? There's a heresy out there that tells us that if you do these certain things and you say these certain prayers and you give a certain amount of money and your faith gauge happens to be particularly high today, that you can pray whatever you want and God will give it to you. That is an attempt to manipulate God. All-powerful, almighty, sovereign, star-breathing God. How can we read a verse like Isaiah 43, I am Yahweh, I work, and who can turn it back and presume to divert God from his purposes? No, we come before God in prayer, not trying to get our faith gauge up, not trying to say all the right things to get what we want. We come before God face down in humility before an all-powerful God. And it's there that we bring our petitions and our prayers with the peace and surrender that he does what he pleases. The third thing we need to remember about God, first, he is all-powerful. His power is infinite. Second, no one can stand against his power. And third, God gives power to the weak. Isaiah 40, 28 through 31. Listen to this beautiful, beautiful verse. Have you guys been into a place maybe lately that you just felt weak? That you felt totally spent? Like, what? how will I keep moving forward? Isaiah 40, 28 through 31. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Yahweh is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even children will faint and be weary. A 
and young men will fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord, Yahweh, shall renew their strength. They shall mount upon wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. How good is our omnipotent God that he would give power to the weak, to the weary, to the empty. Thank you, Jesus. We come to him in humility and submission. Philippians 3, 14, 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ. He gives me strength. The context here is Paul declaring that there is nothing he can't live without because all of his sufficiency, all of his satisfaction, and all of his strength is in Jesus Christ. I can do all things that fall within the will of God. I can do everything and anything he calls me to do. He is infinite. No one can stand against him. He gives his power to the weak. And number four, take rest in this. No one is too hard for God to save. There is no one outside of his power. No one. There was, there's some people in here that think you're outside of his power. There's some people in here who once believed it and God grabbed you. There is no one outside of his power. Your family members, your friends, your enemies, he can get them too. He can break open the hardest heart, open the blindest mind, and resurrect what you and I believe are lost causes. One of the most beautiful illustrations of my life, I was probably, uh, I don't know, 13? 12, I don't know, I was young. And whenever I was living in North Louisiana, my parents ran an inner city student ministry, which meant I stuck out a lot. And we had this young man who was 18 at the time, and his name was Daryl. And he would come in week after week after week, and he didn't talk to anybody. He would just sit in the very back, he'd cross his arms, and he would stare. And he wouldn't even look at it. He's just staring, like just hardened. And my dad would go and try to bring conversation out of Daryl. And the first thing you would notice about Daryl when, when you talk to him, other than being terrified of him, is that you would notice that on his arms, he didn't have tattoos. He had taken a razor blade and he had cut profanity and hate messages into both of his arms, all the way up his arms with a box cutter. And he would sit there fuming and angry week after week after week. I remember going on a missions trip with him, and he sat in the back of the bus. And I'm, like, intimidated by this guy. This guy's scary. This guy wants to kill people. It said so. And I remember one time, I remember very vividly, we took him to a men's conference called Promise Keepers. And he went stone cold to Promise Keepers, and he came back, and most of the way on the way home, he was shaking his head, going, God did something in me. God did something in me. I don't, I don't know what it is. I just I know I'm changed. Something's different in me. Something's different in me. This is a guy who gangs in town kicked out because he was too rough. And Daryl gets back that night. He spent the night at our mission home, at our ministry, because it was too late for him to go home. And he died in the room there because his mom had been selling his heart medication for her own drug habit. And Daryl died in the arms of Jesus Christ because there is no one outside of God's power. Elevate, come on. There is no one outside of God's power. 
And if God can save Daryl, he can save anybody that you have in mind. Ooh, thank you, Jesus. Matthew 19, 24. Jesus is talking. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. There is no one whose salvation is outside of possibility for God. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, but God, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together in Christ. By grace, in grace alone, you have been saved. Have you ever tried yelling at a corpse? No, it's dumb. Why would you do that? If you did that, we're going to pray for you. You don't try to yell at a corpse. Why? The corpse can't hear you. It can't respond to you. It's dead. It's lifeless. And that was, believe it or not, we're not just talking about Daryl anymore. Now we're talking about me. Now we're talking about you. Because we were all dead in Christ. And through his omnipotent power, he saved us. So knowing that God is limitless, knowing that no one can stand against him, that he gives power to the weak, and that no one is too hard for him to save, this should move us. Remember this. It should move us to big prayers. It should move us to pray for things that we were afraid to pray for before, that we're worried we might not see. Because every petition is coming before an omnipotent God. I love that my son, every morning on the ride to school, prays that all the children in the world would come to know Jesus. That's cool. You know what? It's because he isn't hardened to realism yet. His God is still bigger than most of our God in his mind. He still has the faith of a child. Oh, what a God we serve. What a God my son serves. Maybe we need to get a glimpse of that God again. So let's segue. Are you ready for the second sermon you're going to get tonight? <laughs> you better prepare yourself. We're about to get really, really, really crazy in here. If God is self-existent, living from eternity to eternity, if he is the creator of all things, and if he holds all the power, then he and he alone has the right to rule all of creation. And we call that the sovereignty of God. And before we jump into this, I want to give you a fun little illustration from my little boy, Silas. He is a wreck. He is just ridiculous. And he cracks me up and he's adorable as he can be until he's attacking somebody. And he's still kind of cute. But the other day, I came home and I always come in and my kid's like, yay, daddy. I hope they never stop doing it. I hope they're like 18, yay, daddy, you know. And they come running to me and I throw them into the air. We dodge ceiling fans and I put down my backpack and I set Silas down and I realized I left my phone in the car. So I stepped out of the door to go out to my car. Now all Silas sees is daddy is leaving. And he comes, tears, running to daddy, daddy, daddy. And he has no idea. I'm like, I'm coming right back. Hold on. Wait right there. I'll be right back. Daddy, daddy, daddy. He's losing it. I know my purpose. I know why I'm leaving. I even know when I'll be back. But for Silas... All he sees is one level, and that's daddy's leaving. That's it. That's all he sees. And you know what? In a matter of two or three years, he will be able to understand simple concepts like this. So the difference between me and him is not even that big. 
let's begin with an understanding of God being so much further above us that we're much greater than the difference between Silas and myself. And so what God plans, what he ordains, what he sees, what he knows is far greater than we will be able to wrap our minds around. We're just standing at the gate going, I don't understand, God. I don't understand. And he's going, hold on. I've got you. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says Yahweh. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You should be able to find peace in that. Because that means that even if you don't understand everything, you can rest in knowing that the one who is in charge loves you, cares about you. So no matter how crazy things get, no matter how wild what we're about to look at tonight gets, you can still rest that the one who is omnipotent, who is creator, who is self-existing, cares about you. I want to ask you a question, and we're going to come back to it. It's a simple, very small question. Do you believe God is actually in charge? Yes or no? If you say yes, there are implications to your belief that we need to deal with. Psalm 103, 19. Yahweh has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. What does a throne represent? Royalty, power, sovereignty, authority. What does a kingdom represent? A place where there is a king who is in charge and authority over that place. Yahweh has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Sovereignty is defined as above or superior to all others. Chief, greatest, supreme in power, rank, and authority. Royalty, holding the position of ruler. As the omnipotent creator, he has the right to rule and it will be a game changer to how you view God. Boy, I hope tonight when you're leaving here and you're a little bit dazed, a little punch drunk, I hope you look up to God and you're like, wow, God, you're so much bigger. The higher our view is of God, the smaller our view is of ourselves. I love what Stephen J. Lawson says, the God who is is the God who reigns. He actively presides over the entirety of his creative order. This is the bedrock of his supreme authority and his right to exercise his authority. His control is absolute over the heavens, the earth, and hell itself. God rules over all with unhindered, unrivaled majesty. This is the chief cornerstone of all divine truth. The God who is, is the God who reigns. It is this attribute that is the godness of what it means to be God. This is what separates him from everything that he created. Isaiah 49, 9 through 11. Again, God is using an evil king to punish evil. The king was Nebuchadnezzar, and he's going to be referred to here as a bird of prey because God is about to lay down judgment on his people that have become wicked. Listen to this. I am God. There is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient things, from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, 
my counsel, my decisions, my orders shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a bird of prey, Nebuchadnezzar from the east, the man who executes my decisions. So God is taking an evil man, and he is using him. He is in control of him to execute judgment from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. God is not a God who wound up creation like a clock and then just left it to run its course. God is intimately involved with every aspect at all times, ruling over all. Elevate, isn't it good to know that God reigns? That he's the one who is sovereign? This means that fate or karma or luck does not reign. Who reigns? That means that the government doesn't reign. That means that our circumstances don't reign. Satan doesn't reign. And neither do you or I reign. God reigns. And there are three major areas that we see his sovereignty play out. The first one is in creation. The universe is not being run by a democracy. God's not like, should I make this star bigger? And all the angels are like, yay, nay, ah, we're not sure. God's not like, should I make the platypus weird? Yay, nay, no. God just does what he wants. This star is going to be big. The platypus is going to be weird. Done. I'm in control over here. Everything came into being as an exercise of God's sovereign will, and he rules it moment by moment. Psalms 33, 6-9, by the word of Yahweh, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear Yahweh. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. R.C. Sproul says that there are no maverick molecules in the universe. Nothing is getting away from his control. The second place that God's sovereignty is exercised is in history, in the timeline of man. We see in Scripture that God appoints, directs, dethrones kings, governors, and rulers. Proverbs 21.1, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of Yahweh. He turns it wherever he wills. Psalm 33, 10 through 12, Yahweh brings the counsel, his decisions to the nations. And he brings them to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of Yahweh stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is Yahweh, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. He is Lord of every situation, ordering and directing everything towards the end for which he made it and determining every event, great and small, from the thoughts of kings and the premeditated words and deeds of all men to the seemingly random fall of the dice. Not only did he create the stage of the universe, but God has written the entire plot. He choreographed everything that will take place on that stage, and he is directing every participant involved. Proverbs 16.9, here's one to memorize. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his every step. I'm going to go this way, and God's like, 
going that way. God directs every step. Even the fall of dice, he is in charge of. Every prophecy of the Bible is God's declaration that he's in control, and every fulfillment of every prophecy is proof that he still is. All right, I want to deal with, if some of you are thinking, if some of you are paying attention, you may have gotten a little bit uncomfortable with this point. Because I don't know about you, but I see a lot of atrocities in history. I see a lot of sin. I see a lot of evil. And it bothers me. And you know what? That's the macro. The micro is I've also seen in my own life tragedy and pain and loss. And maybe some of you are like, I don't know how God can be sovereign when I've had to live through these situations. Like, that's, let's just be honest. That is hard to accept. Yay, Scripture says great things. My life, I've had some troubles. Do you believe God is actually in charge? Yes or no? The rubber's meeting the road now. Do you believe he's actually in charge? And you know what? I'm not going to be able to make you feel settled, but I want to remind you of two things. One, on the macro, on the big level, we see oh, the, word, the word of God is so powerful. It is such it's so God's self-revelation of who he is. When we study the word of God, we see that on this big level of history, that God works on a bigger scale than anyone in Scripture could understand. And God even used wickedness and evil to bring about his purposes. And we see how those play out in a beautiful tapestry. And on a micro in our lives, I'm not going to be able to make you feel good or answer those questions. But I can tell you that some of the most compelling and powerful testimonies I have ever heard were people that will say, I was in the worst of circumstances, whether it was abuse or loss or pain. And you know what? God not only brought me out of those circumstances, but I see God's hand of favor and control in those circumstances. I know that God is actually in charge. Romans 5, 3 through 4 will speak to you if you're someone who's struggling with this. We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. With pain, with suffering comes hope. God is much more concerned with sanctifying us than he is keeping us comfortable. Romans 8, 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. Isn't it peaceful to know that our God is sovereignly in control over the macro of history and over the micro of our lives. I love this. Charles Spurgeon, known as the Prince of Preachers, he once wrote, there is no attribute of God more comforting to his children than that of God's sovereignty. Under the most adverse of circumstances, in the most severe trials, they believe that the sovereignty that is God has ordained their afflictions that sovereignty overrules them, and that sovereignty will sanctify them all. Do you believe that God is actually in control? Now this third one. Here's where you put your seatbelts on. Click, click, click. We're going over the peak of the roller coaster, and we're about to hit some fun curves. Our sovereign God rules over nature and nations, over events and circumstances, over the righteous and the wicked. He even rules over our eternal destinies. From before the foundations of the earth, God has already been in charge of the end of all things. 
much like there is a paradox around the Trinity, that there is one God, alone one God, and yet three persons. Much like Jesus walked on earth as 100% man and 100% God. These are paradoxes that only sovereign God can understand. In the same way, our salvation is surrounded by a, a paradox of truths. So before we jump into this, side note, we've talked about this tons at Elevate. What does love mean? What is love? It is a choice. Love is saying, I choose you exclusively. I deny everybody else but you. That's love. Hold that in your mind. The first truth of these parallel truths around salvation is that God has given us the gift of choice, that we might love and choose him through obedience, repentance, and relationship. We could not love God unless we had the opportunity to choose him. And it is God's grace that we are provided with every opportunity to choose him. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Who is involved in the world? Everyone living in the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, who's included in whoever, everybody who believes in him would not die but have everlasting life. Romans 10.9-13, maybe some of you are on the edge about this whole Jesus thing. Pay attention right now. If you, who? The reader, the listener, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God has given us the unparalleled gift of his self-revelation. We couldn't know a God that big. And yet he says, here I am. Here's my word. Here I am in flesh so that you can know me. And he's given us this opportunity that we can have a two-way, loving, choosing relationship with him. And he gives us the responsibility to be obedient, to choose him and not deny him. Therefore, there is no one going to heaven against their will. And there is no one going to hell that is not responsible for their choice of denying God. Are we clear on that? But there is a second truth as well surrounding this salvation thing. And it's a way that God shows his sovereignty. It acknowledges God's absolute control over the universe, including who will choose him. It's a scriptural understanding that long before a believer, you and me, chose him, he had already handpicked and chosen you. Ephesians 1, 3-6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. When did he choose us? Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Who had he appointed to be holy and blameless before him? Those he chose before the foundation of the world. In love, he predestined, preordained, foreordained in his sovereignty us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Remember, his sovereignty cannot be denied. To the praise. Why did he do this? To the praise of his glorious grace. This is an expression of his grace in which he has blessed us 
in the beloved, Jesus Christ. Before we were around to choose him, he had already picked you. He had already made a sovereign, all-in-charge decision that you would love him back. Listen to this. Romans 8.28, we just read it. You're familiar with this. For we know that those who love God, those who choose God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Within one verse, we see both our responsibility to choose him and we see at work that it is God who makes the initial call. Romans 8, 29 through 30. For those whom he foreknew, the word knew, coming from the word know, it's a reflection of what the Bible uses to describe the intimate love between a husband and a wife. Those he forechose, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Jesus is the firstborn from the grave. Not that God birthed him, not that he created him, but Jesus is the first to be resurrected like we will be. And those whom he predestined, he also called, remember, all things work together for those of the good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. The fact that God was in control from the beginning, that God was ahead of the game in this thing, is found throughout Scripture. You can find themes of election, predestination, in Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Psalms, Isaiah, Amos, John, Acts, Ephesians, Romans, 1 Peter, 1 Thessalonians, Revelation, and there's probably more. This is something that once you're like, whoa, you will never read Scripture again, and you're not going to be able to unsee it. You'll never be able to read Scripture again and not catch it. Scripture is full of the understanding that long before believers ever chose God, he exercised his right to rule and chose us. If you want to dig into this a little more, if you're just like, whoa, where did this come from? I've never heard this before. You're in my shoes. Like 10, 12 years ago, I heard this and I threw it out. I was like, this, no. And I've been wrestling with it ever since. So don't take this at face value. If this is the first time you're like, whoa, I've never heard this, fine. That's totally cool. Here are some scriptures that you can go and check out on your own. Romans 10, 9 through 24, and John 10, 24 through 30. Brace yourself. It gets dicey. Go study it out for yourself. And now. I want to be honest here. The elephant in the room around this that makes us uncomfortable is we're already pretty unsettled about the whole hell thing, the whole eternal hell thing. And the idea that God might have, outside of our say-so and before the world began, chosen our eternal destiny is a bit unsettling. That messes with us a whole lot. So let me confront the hard question. Is God unjust, unfair, or unloving for not choosing everyone? Let's consider that question. Is he unjust? Well, just comes from the word justice. Justice implies and assumes that you are owed something, that you've earned something. We come to God with empty, filthy hands. We have nothing to our name of credit. Fairness is that we all deserve hell. We're all sinners. There are only bad people on earth. Great Aunt Glockenspiel, who makes cakes for everybody on her road, she's included in the we're all bad on earth. There are only bad people that receive judgment and bad people that receive grace. God is not under 
any obligation, it is by amazing grace that he would save anyone. Let's be a little real here. Ultimately, we are all advocates for predestination. We just disagree with God that he's the best one to make that decision. Do you want me to say that again? We're, we're all pro-predestination. We just disagree with God that he's the right one to make the decision. We prefer having the choice in our own hands, right? We, we want, we're like, whoa, 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 slow down. I'm an American. I vote. I'm going to vote. America. But doesn't this, hey, elevate, let's be real. Doesn't this expose our hearts? Who we really want to be the God of the universe? And we're not pointing up. We're really wanting us to be God of the universe. But the higher our view of God, the lower our view of ourselves. And the higher our view is of him being ruler and sovereign, the lower our view is of actually being in charge. God chooses where you will be born. He chooses who you'll be born to, when it will be, what your gender will be, what events will happen in your lifetime, who mold who you are. He chooses when he will call you to himself. And like Job, he asks the questions, where were you to decide when he was making those decisions? Do you presume to judge God's decision? You see, we live in a paradox of two truths. If God didn't give us the opportunity to choose, we could not love him. We would be robots. If God didn't give us the opportunity to choose, why would he command us to evangelize the whole world, to go and tell everyone about who Jesus is? Bring them the gospel. This is the good news. That there was death and he's calling us to life. God did give us the responsibility to choose him. So there will be no one in heaven against their will, nor in hell, who genuinely wanted to follow Jesus. That's good news. But if God didn't sovereignly elect his people, people's salvation will be based on how good you are at convincing them. If you don't get all the way over there and you don't have the best argument ever, they'll go to hell, and that's your fault. Unless there's a sovereign God who is already ahead of the game, working in their hearts ahead of you. No one can obtain saving knowledge of God through what we say or what we do. Remember what, when Peter makes a statement of faith? You are the Christ, the Messiah, God's son. And what did Jesus say? This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. We cannot, in our humanity, come to knowledge of God. It must be God who starts the process. The second reason, if God didn't sovereignly elect his people, let's be honest, no one would choose him. We would all choose our sin and make ourselves little gods. Romans 3.10, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. No one seeks for God. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Jesus says in John 6.44, no one can come to me. Listen, this is Jesus. No one can come to me unless the Father 
who sent me draws him. Not you had a good enough argument. You convinced them into heaven. Good job. You got them saved. No. This is God's Holy Spirit has been working on the back end in their life since the foundation of the world because God called them according to his purposes. And there's beauty in this. As uncomfortable as this, I know I've given you some answers that only blow up more questions. I've been wrestling with these questions myself. After service, whenever I'm done talking for way too long at this point, like, come on up. We'll, we'll wrestle with it together. But there's beauty in this, and there's peace in this. Think about this. If it's God's choice, if this ultimately comes down to his sovereignty and his choice, think about this. He can choose anybody. What about babies and kids who die? Christianity talks about some sort of age where they just suddenly, suddenly understand, and this is sort of a turning point, the age of accountability. That's not in the Bible. So what happens to babies? It doesn't matter. We can take a breath, take the weight off. God chooses. Our good, just, holy, loving, heavenly Father, he chooses. But what about, what about the mentally handicapped? They, they can't understand Jesus. We don't have to carry that. God chooses. Our good, loving, just creator God, he's the one that chooses. What about people around the world that never have a chance? They live and die and never hear about Jesus. I don't have to carry that. God chooses. That's his sovereign will at work. He can go after anybody. He's omnipotent God. We covered this. There are, there are Muslims around the world. Things are turning over in the Muslim world because Muslims are having visions and dreams and seeing angels that are attesting to Jesus. I heard a story a few months ago about this little boy whose mom died, and they accidentally buried him with his mom. This is a Muslim boy buried with his mom. They realized their mistake. They dug him up a day or so later, and he comes out talking about how Jesus was with him in the coffin. He never heard of Jesus before in his life. God can go after anybody. He's omnipotent God. He is sovereign. He chooses, not us. Isn't that good to know? Oh, what a peace. What a, what a way that we can rest in him. Jesus can show up anywhere to anyone at any time because he's God. He gets to do what he wants. This understanding of God's sovereignty should bring us to humble, God-fearing worship. How great is our God who can save anyone? You know, Roman, Paul, when he wrote Romans 8 and 9, that gives us all these crazy, you know, uncomfortable thoughts, he wrote it with the purpose of encouraging believers, and believers who are under incredible persecution, like what we don't understand kind of persecution. And he's writing this saying to them, take hope. Because if God picked you since the foundation of the world, then nothing you're going through is going to pull you out of his hands. It was already decided. No matter how bad things get, no matter what mistakes you made, God already picked you. If all of eternity past has decided for you, then what's going to happen in, mere, in your mere life won't snatch you out of his hand. He is sovereign for all eternity. So does God exclusively choose us? Or do we exclusively choose him? Yes. These two truths, the truth of our responsibility and his predestination, they run parallel, and they're not diverging, and they're not converging. If they converge, we can make sense of them. Oh, this is how it works. And if they diverge, we can be like, oh, that one doesn't make sense. I can throw that one away. But they run perfectly parallel. 
If you read, actually, Paul gives this example in Romans 9. When you go and study this out, you're going to read about Pharaoh. When Moses goes to Pharaoh and asks for Pharaoh to let the Israelites go, it says 10 times that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And it says 10 times that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, which is true. Yes. These don't converge and they don't diverge. They're parallel truths that bring us to worship him. God has exclusively chosen whom he would save, and anyone who chooses him will be his. We live in the tension right here in this little space. We live in the tension between these truths, declaring, oh God, you alone are God. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts, and your ways are higher than my ways. Someone once asked Charles Spurgeon to reconcile these seemingly opposing views. And he responded, I never have to reconcile friends. Divine sovereignty and human responsibility have never had a falling out with each other. I do not need to reconcile what God has joined together. You see, in our minds, they work against each other. But in God's vision, they're perfect. Just like little Silas, who can't understand why daddy's leaving. My understanding is so much higher than his. How much greater is his understanding than ours? His thoughts, his ways are higher than our ways. I love what Augustine says. If you can comprehend it, it cannot be God. Did you know that in every way that scientists could experience or test, before Copernicus, they were 100% sure that the sun, moon, and stars revolved around the earth. And Copernicus did math and actually figured it out that earth is hurling through space around the sun. As we study scripture, we, we are, in our lives, certain that in every way that we can test and understand, our world revolves around our decisions. But as we study scripture, we begin to see that we are in God's will hurling towards his purposes. So what do we have control of? Nothing. But we can't ask the question, what has God given us to steward, to take care of? While being in complete control, he has given us the authority over where we place our love. Will we choose and love God, will we choose and love people? He has delegated authority to us for these choices, and we call these choices faithfulness. Will you be faithful? Will you be faithful? There was a plane headed for Tucson, Arizona. And all the passengers were headed home. I love this story. I think Pastor Ben told this story. I'm honored that I get to relay it. And there was a man sitting in the seat next to a little boy who was reading a book. And the plane started getting crazy turbulence. There was a storm, and the plane starts shaking. Occasionally, it would, like, drop altitude, one of those belly drop kind of things. And the man starts grabbing his chair, and he's, like, getting anxious. He's, like, trying to breathe through it. And he looks over at the boy, and the boy is just calmly reading his book looks out the window, huh. goes back to his book, 
And as the plane drops again and rattles some more, he's just like, he's getting constantly worked up to where when the plane drops, he gives out a little whoops, whoop, you know? And, and the kid looks at him like from his book, kind of smiles at him and goes back to his reading. And the plane finally comes down, finally descends, finally touch, touches down on the tarmac. And the guy is like trying to breathe. And he looks over at this little boy. He's totally unbothered. And he says, boy, how are you so calm when everything is falling apart, when everything is crazy? And the boy leans over the guy's knee, and he points down the aisle, and he goes, you see, see the pilot down there in the cockpit? That's my daddy. We don't have to understand everything. We don't have to get everything. We don't have to wrap our minds around the bigness of God. But if you can believe that the God who is in charge is the God who loves you, you can find peace in that. Whether we answer all the questions tonight, whether life gets harder, we can find peace knowing that the God who is all good, all powerful, cares about us. We can find peace in that. Psalm 113, 2 through 6. Blessed be the name of Yahweh from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of Yahweh is to be praised. Yahweh is high above the nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like Yahweh our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? Recap. God is bigger than comprehension, but gives us the opportunity to know him. He has all power within himself, and no one can stand against his will. He empowers the humble and the weak. One of his greatest exercises of power is saving the hopeless. God is sovereign, reigning over all creation, history, and our eternal destinies. There is a paradox in salvation. God elects who his children are, and all people have the responsibility to choose him by faith through Jesus. All things will be worked together for his glory and our good by a just and loving God. And this gives us a reason for peace. Three challenges for you guys. I challenge you to pray big prayers. Pray big prayers, knowing that you're coming before an omnipotent God with the humility that you surrender to whatever God answers. But don't stop praying big prayers. Two, look up the song Sovereign by Chris Tomlin. It's a beautiful song. Look it up, download it, make that your theme music for this coming week. Spend the next seven days listening to that song one, two, three times a day. Sovereign by Chris Tomlin. And the third one is I challenge you to study some of this stuff out. Romans 9, 10 through 24, John 10, 24 through 30 are good places to start, but they are by no means a comprehensive understanding. When you're studying these, I want you to ask, is God a God of grace? Is God a God of wrath? Does he have the right to display both with people? And does this reveal the attributes of God's love and justice? All right. That was four weeks in coming. God kept putting it off and raining us out and putting it off. I was like, God hates this message. But no, I think God was preparing it. Did you guys stay with me the whole time? Did y'all hold on through the whole roller coaster? All right. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are sovereign, that you are sovereign over our lives. Thank you, Lord, 
that you compel us to share your good news with everybody because you're going after people we never expect. Lord, I pray that we are moved to pray big prayers. Lord, I pray that you will show yourself in yes answers to big prayers. Lord, I pray that every man and woman of God in this room will answer the question, do we believe that you're actually in charge? And let the answer to that question direct our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you are gracious. You are just. You are holy. You are to be feared. You are the God whose lap we can climb up into and call Daddy. We love you, Lord. We give you tonight in our hearts. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen. Thank you for listening. Episodes are recorded every Wednesday at Elevate Student Ministry. All students, 7th through 12th grades, are welcome.